Post-production for this episode of Fruit Bowl is sponsored by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect over all the things they're passionate about. Join a space and chat about your favorite topics, or create a space of your own and invite your friends, or share it with the larger community. All in a safe, LGBT-friendly environment powered by Hornet. Look for Spaces in the App Store now. Ever since adolescence, I've had this habit of waking up in the early morning, maybe 4 or 5 a.m., and almost immediately, I start to critique myself. I'll list off all the things I've been doing wrong. Recently, it's been about unpaid bills or doctor's visits that I've been putting off. Until I quit a few years ago, it was almost always about my smoking habits and all the horrible things that could happen to me as a result. But if I had to go way back and look for the first signs of this habit of harsh, early morning self-analysis, it is almost certainly when I was a closeted high school student and I was regularly cruising for gay sex in my hometown of Wichita, Kansas. I was raised Methodist, so I didn't have quite the same experience as Puddin, our interviewee for this episode, who grew up in the Southern Baptist and Pentecostal traditions. But the lead pastor at my church made it clear that homosexuality was not an acceptable lifestyle choice. Feeling alone, without anyone to talk to, I would go to public parks or bathrooms, searching for some kind of connection. Inevitably, it was a quick blowjob in the woods or a hand job in someone's car. And without fail, after each interaction, I would drive home, promising myself that this was the last time. Waking up in the early morning, the memories of those secret interactions would come rushing back and I would start chastising myself for every sinful thought and action. Puddin describes writing a letter to himself and placing it next to his bed as a reminder not to masturbate and think of sinful thoughts. He did this all through high school in an effort to curb his same-sex attraction. We hear a lot about how queer people are often the targets of bullies, politicians, and religious fanatics, but as I gather stories for Fruit Bowl, The most common enemy that queer people have early on in their lives is themselves. That internal critic who condemns our thoughts and desires. If I had to choose just one goal for Fruit Bowl, it would be that by listening to each other's stories, we can begin to be more compassionate with ourselves and stop any kind of self-condemnation that might start early on in our lives just because we start to identify as queer. Just think of all the other amazing thoughts we could have if we weren't also policing our own behavior and hiding in our self-made prisons. It took Puddin years to find that peace, and once he did, he describes finally being able to live without fear or shame. And that's a future I wish for all of us. A friend of mine was recently diagnosed with monkeypox, so I thought I'd provide you some facts about what is currently known about this recent outbreak. This is all taken from the Centers for Disease Control website. Right now, monkeypox has mostly been spread among men who have sex with men, but it's not spread exclusively through sexual contact. It can also be transmitted through close social contact with an infected person as well as contact with the bedding and utensils that infected people use. A rash is usually the first sign of infection and can look like pimples or blisters that appear on the face, inside the mouth, and on other parts of the body, including hands, feet, chest, genitals, and anus. Other symptoms include fever, chills, and exhaustion. The illness typically lasts two to four weeks, and during that time, infected people need to quarantine. There is a vaccine, but due to manufacturing and distribution limitations, it's not widely available right now. So the best thing to do is to stay vigilant, make sure we're informed, and to look out for each other. 
I'm going to provide a link to the CDC in the show notes of this episode in case you want more information. I have some more details about Passion Fruit, the first ever live Fruit Bowl event coming up Thursday, August 4th at 7 p.m. right here in Seattle at Century Ballrooms West Hall in the heart of Capitol Hill. Fruit Bowl's own Rebecca M. Davis will serve as the MC. You know Rebecca as Season 4's Voice of Fruit Bowl. Rebecca will host an evening of stand-up comedy, storytelling, music, and burlesque that is tailored for an audience of queer people who were assigned female at birth, or AFAB, and all of the unique experiences that that includes. I will also be presenting the world premiere of a new short film that features many of the interviewees of past seasons who were AFAB. Admission is free with complimentary drinks and snacks, but to honor the intention and goal of the event, we request that cisgender male allies who want to attend pay a sliding scale donation at the door. I will include an invite link in the show notes of this episode, so RSVP today. And a huge thanks to Spaces and Seattle's Office of Arts and Culture for sponsoring Passion Fruit. Special thanks to my latest patron, PH. Currently, we are at 44 patrons who provide $287 a month to help pay for website maintenance, music licenses, and promotional efforts. Learn more at patreon.com slash podcast. Thanks to Ryan Whedon, who edited this episode and also did the final sound mix. Just a heads up about the content of Putin's episode. There is a detailed description of years-long sexual abuse by a family member, as well as a description of efforts by his family and church to cure him of his sexual orientation through conversion therapy. All right, that's it for me. Now, here's Puddin. I like to give them this face where like, you know, I'm on my knees and I'm just like, I have their dick in my mouth and their hand. I'm like looking up at them like, like, please, sir, give me all your dick. Please give me your cum. You know what I mean? Like not necessarily saying that, but saying that with my eyes, like guys love that shit. Like they love it. They eat it up. This is Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. My name's Puddin, I'm 35 years old, and I graduated from high school in 2002. This episode was recorded in January of 2020 in Seattle. I grew up in North Alabama in a tiny town with like, like I graduated with like uh, 70 people, I think, pretty small. Totally liberal, like, People are like everywhere just doing all the dirty things. No, it's like extremely conservative. My mom and dad divorced when I was like one. So, you know, I mostly spent most of my time with my mom growing up. She got married to a man when I was probably eight or so. So from then on out, my stepdad was around. Then I would visit my dad. He had a wife. He had a couple wives, actually, and uh, had two kids. That's, like, my main nucleus of family. But, you know, I had, like, lots of cousins and aunts and uncles I spent time with when I was growing up. I had half-siblings, and then I had step-siblings, but none that I, like, grew up with. I remember very early realizing that my uncle was some form of queer. My cousin found this gay porn magazine in his house, which is the first one that I ever saw. He had kids and um, he had an ex-wife. It wasn't something that like we talked about or anything, but it was like a quiet, like shameful thing. I didn't really know him that well. He died when I was in high school and I found out years later that he had been in a hotel with 
a man and they were doing drugs and that's like how he died. It wasn't until like probably 10 years later that someone was like, oh, well, just so you know, this is how he died. He was like in a hotel with a man and they were having sex and doing drugs. So no, I, I wasn't close to him. I don't think many people knew that part of his life. I grew up really Christian, you know. I thought I was gonna be a pastor, I thought I was gonna be a missionary. I was actually the one who was like talking my mom into going to church. I'm like, come on mom, let's go. Like we need to do it for the Lord. I was in Southern Baptist Church for most of the time. My grandparents are Pentecostal holiness, speaking in tongues and faith healings and things like that. And then I did some more of that when I was in college, some more like non-denominational, but like still pretty charismatic. Even though like everybody didn't go to church, it was still like the overarching idea was that like, it was a sin to be gay and it was unnatural and it was very like hellfire, like you're gonna go to hell, you're gonna burn type thing. I mean, I remember specifically my pastor talking about homosexuality, you know, when they talk about sins, like that's the one they would talk about. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely something to be ashamed of, to hide until probably college. I can't remember anyone who was out and proud about being out. Growing up, like, constantly feeling ashamed of my sexuality, but like secretly, like jerking off to, to gay porn and then like praying about it afterwards and like, you know, basically beating myself up over it. You know, I was listening to um, one of your previous episodes and I heard somebody mention silk stockings and I was like, oh my God, I totally remember. That was, that was really early. I remember silk stockings being on USA. It was like really sexy for me at the time, you know, um, just like the opening shot of like somebody's thigh and like all these lingerie and things like that. I mean, there were lots of shows later that I ended up like being really into that aroused my sexual interest, but it wasn't explicitly sexual, you know, like Superman with Dean Cain. I was like obsessed with him because he was so pretty and I didn't understand why I was so excited about him. I mean, he was Superman, but he was also just like gorgeous man. Lots of like Shania Twain videos were really sexual. You're still the one that I love, like I remember that video it was like black and white and this guy's like getting out of a tub. He was like hairless and had abs for days. Before I really like understood how sex worked or anything like that, I still remember like seeing that and feeling like, you know, a little <laughs> choked up or something like, I don't know what's happening, but I feel uncomfortable when I see that man with no clothes on. <laughs> I was probably eight. I remember I had this fish tank and like there was a guppy in there. It had just given birth or was about to at any moment. My stepmom was like, hey, do you know how the fish got pregnant like that? And I was like, no. And she's like, the fish had sex with another fish and that's how it got pregnant. And that's how people get pregnant. They have sex with other people and that's how they get pregnant. And that was it. That was the end of it. Nothing about like the ins and outs of it or obviously nothing about like having sex for fun or anything. It was very like, if you want to get someone pregnant, you need to have sex with them. Of course, I didn't want to get anyone pregnant and I still don't want to get anyone pregnant. But yeah, that was the closest to like a conversation it's funny to think back, but like, I never had any kind of, I think that they did have sex eds classes, but it was an elective. Like it was something that you could take, but it wasn't like a requirement. 
I think the closest that I ever got to any kind of sex education, it was seventh or eighth grade. I remember one of my teachers just talking about STIs. If you're going to have sex, you need to wear a condom. That was pretty much it. Or like, and these are all the things that you could get. You can get gonorrhea, you can get chlamydia. Like, you know, spent way more time on like the STIs than like anything about the sex itself or, I mean, obviously they weren't talking about gay sex. It was just kind of figured out. <laughs> I remember this boy when I was really young. I was probably seven, he was probably like 16. But, you know, I would just see him in the neighborhood. I mean, he was obviously much older than me, so we weren't like playing or anything like that. But I would say I had a crush on him. I can remember doing the cliche thing of like selling lemonade in front of my house and him like coming up and he had been like working in his yard or something. So he was kind of like sweaty and he had like sweat stains in his armpits and like he like bought some lemonade from me and drank it. And I can like clearly like see him like, you know, lifting up his arm, drinking the lemonade and seeing like this like sweat stain in his armpit and being like enamored, you know what I mean? And I'm still into like sweaty pits to this day. Like he had like thick eyebrows and he had dark hair. He had like darker skin. His family was Middle Eastern of some kind, which was very different to my, like whoever else was around me. I still love brown boys. He was like really nice. When he would be around, I would just kind of be like shut down and like, and he was always playing with me and like, you know, joking with me and like uh, trying to like get me to loosen up and he was really boisterous and like fun to be around you know he was hot i ended up seeing him like years later when i was in college and he was still hot i was down the first thing was probably one of my cousins, I know I'm like being a cliche, being from Alabama, and I have these two cousins who I would play with, but like, it's just the reality of what happened. I didn't even know what masturbation was at the time. This was, again, before I went through puberty. He had already, and he basically was like, oh, let me show you how to do this thing. And I was like, okay, and we like, took our clothes off. He would be like, oh, this is what you're doing. He like touched his dick and was like, he got hard. And I was kind of like confused. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but okay, I guess this is like this other way to play with each other. <laughs> I was at that time probably like 10 or something. And he was probably 11, like he was just a little older than me, but he was a little less naive about things. But yeah, he showed me how to touch my dick. And then like, I remember him like jerking off and coming and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like what just happened? You know, cause I couldn't even do it at that point. So like he showed me how to do it. And then like, I started doing it by myself. I think he had been molested at a younger age. And I kind of feel like he was like perpetuating that, like he was replaying that story. It felt a little like predatory at times. I went through like years of like being angry with him, but then like realized at some point that, you know, I was projecting my guilt and my shame onto him. So I don't know exactly what happened, but I, you know, I think he wanted to play with me. He wanted to play with my body. And so he's like, oh, I'm gonna have to teach him how to do this. Cause I found out later that he like had been taken advantage of sexually. So I think he just thought it was natural. I think he was like, oh, well, this is what you do <laughs> with people who don't know what to do. You teach them, right? I don't think he intended to like be predatory or to be using me I think that's what ended up making me not be mad at him because I was just like you know what he was doing the best that he could with what he knew that happened a lot in my family 
like people were like sexually abused by other family members. It's hard to not be upset that that's happening. It just makes me sad. It makes me sad that like people are hurting and then therefore they like hurt other people to help them process their pain. And so I try not to be angry at the people who did it because I'm like, y'all were abused too. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not gonna go into detail, but like I, I can think of like lots of incestuous activities that were happening in my family when I was young. Thankfully, I actually got out pretty easily with just having like a cousin who was a year older than me, like showing me the way when like there was definitely some like intergenerational things happening that were not good. Later on, it got more, I feel like he was taking advantage of me. We like played with each other probably like 10 times over the course of, from the time I was like 11 up to like 16. The last time I think was when, when I was 16, when I finally was just like, no, that's enough. Because I felt like he was using me sexually, because it wasn't about like both of us getting off, it was about me getting him off. Which, you know, again, has like informed my sexual preferences now. I mean, like I still really get off on like being used. Like I get off on being like, oh, just use me like a flashlight or something. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if I get off. It's just about getting you off. But yeah, at the time I like felt really hurt. The last time it happened, we were on this like family vacation and we had rented this house in Tennessee and like there was like a bunch of us there. I remember like watching some gay porn with him and then like sucking him off. Like I said, he got off and then I was like jerking off and was gonna try to come and he was like, oh, I have to go and he just like ran into the other room. I kind of just like shut him out after that, just like I didn't have the energy or the wherewithal to say, like, you hurt me because I was still processing it. I didn't really know what to feel. At the time, it seemed like retribution, and I feel bad for you in saying this, but, like, the next day he had a seizure there, and I remember feeling like, that's what you get. And I know that's bad to say, but that's what I, that's what I remember feeling at the time. And, you know, we just, like, didn't really connect anymore again after that point. I remember being really angry with him, and when I would see him, I would just, like, basically shade him out really hard. I'm like, I don't even want to talk to you. I learned to be compassionate because I know that he was processing his pain and trying to deal with it in this way. One day I was like... This anger that I have for him is hurting me way more than it's hurting him because he doesn't even know that I'm mad at him. And so I'm just going to let it go. I mean, I'm just going to, like, choose to be happy, you know, and just, like, let it go. And then, like, maybe a year or two after that, he passed away. He, like, had a drug overdose and died. A lot of the anger that I was feeling towards him was my own shame that I was like doing something gay. So I felt like it was his fault that I was doing it. But the truth is like, I like to touch dicks and I was a willing participant, you know, even if I was young. I was pretty much like so closeted that I didn't want to hear about it. I wasn't ready. Plus, you know, I was a Christian then. That was my best uh, cover. Like, I was the one trying to get my classmates to, like, accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, you know. That was my cover for being gay for, like, years and years and years. It was like, oh, well, he's not talking about girls' asses. He's not talking about, like, having sex with girls because he's a Christian. That's what I thought, at least. They were calling me gay for years, but... Well, I did have sex one time when I was young. I was, I think, probably 13, maybe 14. And I was at my friend's house. We had been, like, playing all day, and I was staying the night with him. And 
I knew that something was up when like, you know, we were like watching TV and we're like sitting next to each other. Our legs are like up in the air and like they kind of brush against each other and like neither of us pulled up away and we just like let our legs touch each other. And then we were going to bed and we like stayed up talking and blah, 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 blah. And like at some point I remember like opening my legs up and he like laid his leg on the inside of my thigh and I was like... Okay, something's happening. I think we fell asleep. And then I kind of like woke up to him like pulling me on top of him. We were just kind of like dry humping a little bit. And then like we pulled our underwears off. I'm not sure how much conversation went into it. Like no lube, you know, maybe some spit. We didn't have lube. And he pushed it in and it was like massively uncomfortable and he probably like fucked me for a minute or less like it was very quick I like kind of pulled it out of me because it didn't feel good and then he started coming like I was like basically like it wasn't in me but I was like sitting on his dick still and I felt it like pulsing and he like came just from like that little bit after it was over with we were both like okay so that happened we had been like laying next to each other the whole time but after that happened he like went up on the top bunk and we like went to sleep and like right after it happened like we we're like basically putting our clothes back on he tried to like say oh well i'm not gay i like girls but like i did this with another one of my friends once and it's cool it's just like a friend thing I was like, okay. And then a couple weeks later, I remember writing him an email, I think, saying, like, I've been thinking about it, and it was fun, and maybe we should do it again. And he, like, responded back with, like, saying, I'm into girls. I'm not gay. We're not doing it again. And I even think at one time I wrote him a letter after that because I was like, who else am I going to do it with? I already have this connection with him. And I was too afraid to like give it to him. And I threw it away and my parents found it and read it. That was one of several of those kind of like intervention-y type things. My stepdad was telling me about how this kid that he knew was like, when he was growing up, they found out he was gay. Everybody made fun of him and they were all mean to him and blah, blah, blah. Basically telling me don't be like that or they're gonna be mean and make fun of you. So yeah, it only happened the one time with him. I mean, now years later, he got a husband and he's very out gay, cubby boy. I told my mom and my stepdad, okay, this is an interesting story, but when they started to realize that I was gay, because they found gay porn on the family computer. I guess my mom told one of our family friends, oh God, it was so dramatic. She shows up to our house and she's like, I have something to tell you. I'm like, okay. She sits us, me, my mom, I sat that down and she's like, I just had this like repressed memory come back and I was young and I was at a summer camp and like this girl came over and like got into my bed with me and started touching me and basically talking about this homosexual experience that she had. And then she used that as a segue to be like, okay, now you can tell us like things that you've done, right? She's like putting me on the spot in front of my mom and in front of like, you know, my stepdad, like, we can talk about this. This is a safe space. And all of a sudden I'm like, really, is it though? Yeah, and then I just like remember telling her that that had happened with my cousin. And of course my mom like freaked out and starts crying. And like, then she like starts blaming herself saying, oh my God, I let you spend so much time with him and blah, blah, blah. And it's my fault that you were taken advantage of. I mean, I've since, like, told lots of people, but, like, you know, at the time, I was still pretty young, and I, I told her. I mean, it was all three of them. It was my mom, my stepdad, and my family friend, who were all there having this, like, emotional, dramatic situation. 
they ultimately wanted to like help me process my homosexuality so that I could stop being gay. She was like, oh, I'll talk about this. And it's okay because I felt pleasure too, but then like I realized it was bad and now I'm married to my husband and have been for 40 years. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, cool. But at the time it was the most like frank conversation I'd had about sex ever. It was awkward. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like kind of like an ambush. It, it felt like an ambush. Yeah, it felt like a like an intervention or something like that, you know? Mm. So, yeah, my mom also, like, gave me this book that, you know, that's how I first got into the whole Exodus world was she gave me this book that was written about changing your sexuality. And I remember she brought it to me and she had it wrapped up in a cover for another book. Like, she didn't even hand it to me. She just put it in my room with a cover on it, right? An Oprah book. It was the cover for an Oprah book. There wasn't conversation about it, really. You know, I read it. I definitely identified with, like, a lot of things in the book. It wasn't like, this is what you should do. It was a series of letters written back and forth between this guy who had been gay and then, like, changed his sexuality and then another guy who was trying to do that, right? And it talked about feeling envious of other guys and maybe you're confusing your sexuality with just like wanting to be like those guys, you know? And so instead of being gay, you should learn to connect with other guys your age. One of the guys had been into like muscle guys also. He's like, so I started working out and got muscly myself and that helped me. It's not that I'm sexually attracted to them, it's that I want to be them. And so I'm making myself like them so that I won't be gay. So it was lots of that kind of stuff, talking about, you know, not having connection to your father, obviously. I mean, maybe that's not obvious, but they say that a lot in Exodus is like, you know, it's about like not being connected to your father and maybe having like an overbearing mother who is too close to you and <sighs> she gave me that book and I remember reading it and I remember blaming her just kind of like well this book says that I didn't have a connection with my dad and my mom was overbearing so you made me this way you know what I mean you said that I didn't say those exact words but I remember saying like this is part of why I'm like this, and we need to, like, change our connection with each other. Uh, what other ways did you change your behavior as a result of, the, of reading the book? Well, that was just how it started, was, like, I was like, okay, now that I see that, like, there's something wrong with me, and, you know, there's an answer, there's a way out, like, other people have done it, and so basically I just started, like praying a lot about it. Like every day I would pray. I remember I had a list of things that I prayed for every day, right? And that was on there, changing that I was into dudes. I wrote this letter to myself, like after I had jerked off and I felt so guilty. And so I wrote a letter and then I like put it next to this like jar of like, Vaseline that I would use to jerk off with. Like, I didn't get rid of the Vaseline, but I put this letter on top of it so that I would have to, like, see it, slash, my idea was like, oh, I'm gonna read it before I jerk off again. And it was all like, don't do this, you know, God has better plans for you, and basically trying to convince myself it was a bad idea to jerk off. But, you know, I was 16, 17, like, <laughs> of course I was jerking off. That was pretty much how it went until I got into college. You know, I was in like the Campus Crusade at the time. Campus Crusade is like, it's just a group of evangelical Christians who hang out, spend a lot of time together outside of the weekly meetings, but then like once a week, we would basically have a speaker come or we'd play some games or just kind of like hanging out with other Christians. It was a social thing because we weren't like drinking or anything. So it was like our social network. 
there was at least like 100, 150 people that would come to the meetings for a while. Like, so it was kind of like being a pastor, you know, I wanted to be a pastor anyway. So right. when I got into college, you know, that was the first time that I had a computer of my own that was in a room that closed that had access to the internet. <laughs> and so I immediately was like jerking off all the time to porn while at the same time like being a leader in this Christian organization. We had like accountability partners, you know what I mean? Like someone you could talk to about the things that you're struggling with. I remember this one guy who actually I knew was gay the whole time. I mean, now he's like a hairstylist and has a husband and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if it was at a Campus Crusade event or how we heard about it, but there was this software that you could put onto your computer and it would log any questionable websites and then it would send an email to another person. It could be anybody that you wanted to send it to. I had it sent to him because I needed someone so that I could be scared. <laughs> and uh, that was how I tried to fight my like desire to look at porn all the time. One time, I think I went on something and forgot to turn it off. So I, I knew this email was going to go to him and <laughs> we would go in between each other's dorms all the time you know and I went to his dorm when he wasn't in there and got onto his computer and I deleted the email before he got it which was just like shady as fuck I was like there's no I can't like I can't let him see it because it was like you know gay porn xx like it was like clearly like gay porn and so I was like this cannot get out because I was leading the Campus Crusade at the time. Now, looking back, he probably would have been turned on by it because now I know he was a flaming homosexual, but he also probably would have been like, you know, felt like he could hold something over me, like, oh, well, I know what you've been doing, you know, kind of thing. Around that time, you know, I had heard of Exodus, ex-gay Christian reparative therapy. I searched on their website. I found this person. She was someone who had been in several relationships with women, and then the Lord healed her, and she had a husband, and she wanted to help other people. Like, she wasn't even a therapist. She wasn't even trained or anything. And then at that time, she was just about to start this group. There was like five or six of us that she had been meeting with individually. And she's like, oh, well, we're gonna have a group meeting and y'all can all come to my house and we'll like have some like snacks and things. And then we'll talk about this. You know, Exodus was like negative in a lot of ways, but like, that was the first time I ever hung out with gay people was at her house. People that I knew were gay and were like talking about it. And even though we were like coming from this point of view of like, oh, well, like God's gonna heal us, quote unquote. It, it was like in some way really validating, you know, to have that kind of connection with other queer people. There was mostly like people my age there was one guy who was probably in his 40s or something. There was like one girl. They were all from like North Alabama. I was so excited that I finally like had someone I could talk to about it. And you know, I was gonna get released from this like horrible thing. It sucked being like quiet for all those years, like keeping this like really deep part of myself like hidden so it was nice to be able to talk about it there so we did that for six months we would meet like once a week and talk about things and then eventually like she went with us to a couple conferences there was one in california that i went to it was like hosted on this christian campus there was one in Nashville that I went to, like a regional convention. But the the national convention had like a lot of people. I remember pulling up and like there was 
protesters out front, you know, they're like XX gays. They were funny because like at the time I was like, oh my God, I can't believe y'all are doing this and y'all are being sinful. And like, they sent like spies in, right? Cause I remember like meeting this guy and like, we're just talking, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, well, just so you know, we're having this other convention down the street. And it was like a XX gay thing. Cause they were doing it at the same time. They wanted to lure us away and get us to come over and be like, it's okay to be gay. And, and I just remember thinking that they were so bad. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this and blah, 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 blah. I mean, partially I was like curious about what they would have to say, but I was so like set in my ways of like, you know, believing that God was gonna change me and all these kinds of things. It was so good. Like, I know people expect me to say it was terrible, but like meeting so many people from around the country that were gay, and also let's be clear, some cute, cute boys. I just felt like for the first time, a real like belonging, you know? I was like, oh, these are my people. Even though they were ex-gays, they were still gay. I just remember, you know, being slightly scandalized by some of the guys because I really believed in it and I was gonna change and all this kind of stuff. Keep in mind, they had us in dorm rooms. You know, we were sharing bedrooms with like other boys. And so, you know, I would hear through the grapevine that like so-and-so and so-and-so like hooked up in their room. But I was all just like, I can't believe they're doing that. Like we're here to like change for the better. I thought it was disrespectful. I did not hook up with anybody. I had this very like holier than thou attitude about it. I was like, I'm not doing that, I'm good. I left that and like had a realization because I saw all these older guys who talked about having been in Exodus for the past like 20 years or something like that. And they were like heavily flirting with guys younger than them. It seemed even predatory. I was like, y'all been in this for 20 years and y'all still over here flirting with these like 20 year old boys. It was kind of subtle, but like, I mean, you can see in somebody's eyes whenever they're like undressing someone. Like, I just remember looking at them and like seeing them like stare these guys up and down and finding excuses to touch them. Like not necessarily like groping them, but like, you know, very like, oh, how are you? I'm gonna put my arm around you. I'm gonna grab you on the chest kind of thing. I'm like, okay, like, I don't know a lot of things, but I know what it looks like when someone's getting flirted with, <laughs> you know, like those lingering gazes, you know, smiling a little bit too much. Yeah. You know, I wanted them to flirt with me probably. It wasn't immediately afterwards, but like thinking back to it, like, you know, within like a couple months of that convention, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not gonna become that man over there. I'm not gonna like fight against this for 20 years and then have nothing change. Like why not just begin to accept myself? This boy, his name's David, he was in Camp Crusade with me in college, and then he started going to Exodus with me because he also was gay. And so when I first told him I'm struggling with same-sex attraction, he was like, are you struggling? <laughs> like, he kind of just didn't think it was a big deal. He really, like, helped me a lot. I wish I could tell him how much it helped because he didn't buy it. He didn't believe that God was mad at us for being gay, right? He was like, it's really okay, you know? Like, you need to like see all these things and try them out before you just like push it out of your life because clearly you're gay. <laughs> that helped, you know, like having someone to go to a gay bar with me and like someone to talk about it in like a non-judgmental way. He was like, yeah, I'll go. Let's see what they have to say, you know. He was more interested in just like me having a balanced view of things, which I appreciate greatly because, you know, somebody who like was himself like 
a committed Christian, like he considered himself to be a Christian, but also someone who had mostly had gay interactions himself. He seemed to be very anti what the like prominent culture was. He was always questioning, like a couple times I remember taking him to like this men's weekend that my church had. He was like asking them questions to the point that were uncomfortable and to the point where everyone was kind of annoyed that he was there because he was just like, what does faith mean? Are you sure that's what God wants for you? You know what I mean? Like things that everybody else there was just like taking as truth. He was like, I don't know. Let's think about that. He was like always the devil's advocate, you know? So I'm, I'm, I am curious though, like, cause I feel like other people who were Christian, who were more set in their ways and maybe, maybe this describes you too. They might've perceived him as being somebody like the devil, mm -hmm. you know? But at what point did you realize that he was actually kind of being an actual Christian, <laughs> you know? Um, I thought he was good the whole time. I just, like, believed that he had different ideas of what it meant to be a Christian. And that's why I loved it so much, because I was like, oh, there's, like, other ways to be besides just this, like, conservative person. The funny thing was that he was, like liberal in that way, but then also was all about faith healings and like supernatural Christianity, you know what I mean? Like where it's like, not just I'm praying to God, like where like, I'm gonna pray for you and your hand and your cancer's gonna disappear. And so he was encouraging being radical on both sides, you know what I mean? We would talk about God as like being this entity that would give you almost like superhuman things. Like he talked about it like it was almost like magic. Thinking back on it, I think that like he was doing a form of magic. Like it was like witchcraft with Jesus. All the while we were going to gay bars, it was called Oz. This was the only gay bar in Huntsville at the time. There's not even one there now we had decided that the next weekend we were going to go. So like I had the whole week to like think about it and I was like pumping myself up and I'm like, okay, what am I going to wear? I put this like all black button up shirt on cause I thought I was going to be cool. You know what I mean? And like, he like showed up and he was like, you're not wearing that. He was like, no, like put on a t-shirt and put on some shorts, like things that you would normally wear. I just remember going in and like my heart was like racing and immediately feeling like scared as fuck, then quickly having some alcohol to help calm my nerves. Then I remember like having guys stare at me with like lust in their eyes, right? And being like, like, it was, like, scary as fuck, but at the same time, like, I had never been desired like that. I remember even saying, like, I felt like a piece of meat. And I loved it. It was pretty much over from then, because then I started going every weekend I would go, and then for a while I was going, like, Friday and Saturday night every weekend. Would you go with him or by yourself? Started out just, like, going with him, and then I remember the first time that I went by myself, I was like, okay, this is it. Because he was, like, not about that bar life that much, you know? So he was like, I can't keep up with you. I don't want to keep going. I don't want to drink that much. If you want to go, you know where it's at. I did that for a while, all the while, like, still being in, in Campus Crusade, still going to the church that I was going to at the time, still going to Exodus meetings. And then I started doing theater, and I remember the people I went to church with telling me that they were bad influences and that they were gonna like make me go on a bad path and all these kinds of things. The theater people. The theater people, yeah. It's always the theater people, um, which they weren't wrong about. You know, that was when I first like hung out with like gays that weren't like trying to hide it or anything. <laughs> 
I hate being dishonest. Like I don't like being fake. So I was just like, I can't do this. I can't keep like literally having these two lives. Like I was living two lives. So I stopped going to the church. And then at some point, somebody who I met in theater introduced me to her friend. She's like, I have this friend, he's gay also. You should be friends, you know, you should meet, right? And I was like, oh, just because we're gay doesn't mean that, la, la, la. But then we met and dated for like two years. <laughs> Dating Evan was like the cementing of my homosexuality because it took us a while of like hanging out before we actually had sex. I was really into him. Like I had a crush on him and he was so cute. He was my type. He was a little shorter than me, maybe like 5'10", Latino, he had curly hair, a big nose, he was brown, he was skinny, he had a really big dick. We were both kind of being coy towards each other, we were just like slightly flirting. When I say it took a while, I mean like it was a couple, three weeks of us like hanging out off and on in our friend group, you know. He would just come over and like, I would have like little fires in the back of my yard and hang out and drink and stuff like that. I remember one night we had been drinking. We might've even been playing like truth or dare. And someone told him to like eat something off of my finger. Like I had some like whipped cream or something. And so then he like did it and he like did it really like seductively and like looked me in the eyes while it was happening. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening right now? I had really severe, you know, body image issues and couldn't really even imagine someone who I thought was so cute being attracted to me. And so I was like, what's happening? And then he like took my hand and like led me inside and we went into my bedroom and like, we just started like making out really intensely and like I fucked him. That wasn't the first time I had had sex because I had some interactions with some guys from the gay bar and like, you know, I talked about my cousin, but I had had sex with a friend of mine when I was younger just once. So it wasn't the first time, but it was like a first time in a way because it was like, I had like feelings for this man and I was having sex with him and I was like, oh my God, like sex with like a connection is so much more intense, you know? And uh, it was like so good. We basically started dating then and like spent a lot of time together. I had like two people living in my house with me. They both went to church with me. And there was a couple times when like Evan stayed the night and then like, you know, he would get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and like my roommate was there and I was like, okay, like he was not dumb. Pretty soon after that, he like confronted me and he's all like, is there anything you want to tell me? And I was like, not really, but I'll tell you if you want to know. And I was like, that's my boyfriend. And he was like, yeah, I could tell. And like, it was a month later, he moved out. I'm pretty sure he told the people at my church. I had stopped going at that point. I found out later just because like, one of the families from the church sent me a letter and it was all like, we heard about your roommate and you, you need to like, leave him and like, lead him to Jesus also. They thought that I needed to like, repent and like, help Evan come to Jesus also. I never responded to that letter and I just like kind of was like, dude, you're not gonna tell me anything. I just like had, like I've never had a connection with anybody like this and you're gonna tell me that it's wrong. There's no way that this could be wrong. My dad passed away like a year after Evan and I started dating. And like I took him with me to his funeral. 
Evan helped me through a lot of those kind of transitional times. And at the time it was frustrating because he was like, I'm not going into the closet for nobody, right? He was very like in your face, like this is my life. And he was like, you need to come out to your family. And I was like, no, I can't. And he was like, well, if you don't, like, I'm not coming with you to the funeral. I'm not going to do any of these things with you. I don't know if he straight up said it, but it seemed like if you don't come out, like, I'm going to break up with you. And at the time, like, that was, like, harsh. But, like, thank goodness he did because I needed that. I needed that, like, push to, like get past my discomfort with what was happening. Around that time, I took him to my other side of the family for like Thanksgiving dinner and they like really ignored me and him the whole time. That time period was really hard because they, even if they disagreed with me, I just feel like I wish that they had been more supportive. Like, tell us what's going on in your life, you know, instead of just like not talking about it. And my dad had just died and not one of them said like, how are you? You know, I'm sorry that your dad died. Like. I got, I, I pretty much like stopped thinking of them as my family at that point. I was like, you can't even like get past your own like ideas about how things are to like talk to me like a human. One of my cousins said, I'm sorry to hear about your dad, period. The rest of them like pretended we like we weren't even there. But yeah, we were together. We were like monogamous for those two years. Eventually we broke up. I broke up with him. I used to live at this commune in Tennessee for four and a half years. It's like an hour and a half southeast of Nashville. It's a cool place. I mean, it's a sanctuary for queer people who have nowhere else to go. So it's like consensus-based decision-making. No one turned away for lack of funds. It's a community of radical fairies. There was a lot of like kids that were homeless because their parents kicked them out. But there was also, you know, like people that had been there living there for 30 years. You know, lots of trans people, like I said, when I like, like that was the first place that I like was able to really explore what made me myself, you know? Like that's the first place I wore a dress, it's the first place I put makeup on. Which I, you know, I'm not even into wearing dresses necessarily, but like just having that experience of being free to do that. And just like to be around other queer people and like that wasn't even like the focus. It's not like we were at a gay bar where it's like, oh, we're gay, let's hook up. It was like, oh, we're just people. And we're just like living off the land and living off the grid and, you know, raising chickens and raising goats and milking and like chopping firewood to sustain ourselves. So, you know, that experience taught me a lot about accepting myself and just seeing like the strength that I had to like do those things. I mean, it's still amazing to me that for years and years, I like literally heated myself through the winter by chopping up wood and building a fire. Like if we didn't have a fire, we were cold. Like if we didn't have a fire in the bathhouse, we didn't have a shower. So many things that people take for granted, like we take for granted that we turn on the hot water and hot water comes out and that like, you know, you go to the grocery store and there's food. I mean, we still went to the grocery store, but we also like grew a lot of things. And like, you know, like I raised turkeys and killed them and we ate them for Thanksgiving dinner, you know. That was really instrumental in making me who I am today. I left because I hadn't like really experienced, I mean, I experienced a lot of things there, but I hadn't experienced a lot like of things outside of there. I mean, I spent my whole life in Alabama before I moved to this commune. And then, you know, it was almost like I had all these tools now to like see myself and accept myself that I gained while I was there and I was like, I need to go put them into use. Not to mention the fact that 
I had spent literally my whole life in the South and I was just like, I need to experience something else. So I just needed to change things and I did that and I was ready to go. I love the people there. I mean, they're the people who I ended up making all these connections with that, you know, like I know people in cities all over America just from being there and having them visit and, uh, you know, have people I can be supported by. I mean, that's how I met the people who ended up inviting us to come move to Seattle. It was really good. It was really, really good for me. I know it's not that big of a deal, but it still is embarrassing to me. I had douched out to get ready to get fucked, right? And this boy was like eating my ass and like, you know, a couple minutes in, he's all like, <laughs> he's all like, he wanted me to like push out like he wanted me to push my hole out so he could like get a good lick of it right and then <laughs> like some douche water that i hadn't gotten out like went into his mouth and like he was just like okay i don't know what to do that was really embarrassing <laughs> i've since learned how much water to use whenever douching you don't need much boys and girls okay right i honestly think that my best move is like being connected to someone i like to connect to them you know i like to like look in their eyes and like touch them and feel what their body wants so i've had lots of people tell me that that they feel like a, a more connected to me than a lot of people, which is like good and bad because it's good because like, you know, I have this connected sex with people that like maybe I've just met or like whatever. It's also bad sometimes because I've had a lot of guys want to start dating me afterwards or like get really hooked on it and I'm just like I was just trying to have this time with you I wasn't like promising you anything past this point you know it's not like I'm like fooling them I just feel like even if I only have a, a small amount of time with someone it could be connected you know aside from that if I was gonna say like a move move guys really like when I'm like acting subby I like to give them this face where like you know I'm on my knees and I'm just like I have their dick in my mouth and their hand. I'm like looking up at them like, like, please, sir, give me all your dick. Please give me your cum. You know what I mean? Like not necessarily saying that, but saying that with my eyes, like guys love that shit. Like they love it. They eat it up. That also goes hand in hand with that connection. Cause I like to like look in people's eyes and be like, do you see me servicing you, sir? Cause I'm here for your use. Well, I know what I want and can say that. I mean, I'm still like exploring things that I haven't done, but like I can straight up message someone and be like, hey, I want you to come over and fuck me and we're gonna do this. Okay, cool. We can like explicitly talk about like our sexual health. Like, oh, I'm on prep. I'm, you know, I just got tested, uh, you know, whether we're gonna use condoms or not. Like I can, explicitly say those things instead of just like stumbling home drunk from bar and just like hoping for the best <laughs> so that's different it's definitely a lot better you know i know how to like properly clean out you know i'm a lot more open sexually as far as like who i'm gonna have sex with like my type was very narrow when i first came out so it's helped to widen that and in doing so helped to like me to accept my own body. At some point I was only like looking at porn that was like hairless twinks, like it was very like Bellamy online type. And then I made the conscious decision to be like, I'm gonna start watching porn that's guys that look more like me because I need to like be able to see myself as sexy. 
since that like hairless twink thing was like my whole thing that was the only thing that I thought was sexy and so like jerking off to other types of guys helped me to be like okay I see that like people find my body attractive and I remember one time realizing I don't have to be my type to be someone else's type there's all kinds of people who are who are into me If I had to give myself, my younger self, some advice, I'd say it was leave Alabama. <laughs> I don't know how I would find my support network quicker. Maybe the advice would be like, these aren't your people, but you're gonna find them and then that's gonna help because uh, I like found my people. Not just that, but like, you know, going to larger cities and like finding other queer people and just like realizing that there's nothing wrong with you. Fruitball interviews are edited for length and narrative clarity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruitbowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate us on your podcast platform, or write a review on Apple Podcast. And, of course, you can also follow us, for now, on Twitter at FruitBowlPod and Instagram and TikTok at FruitBowlPodcast. FruitBowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Rebecca M. Davis. This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.